sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Lord, we love you. We come before you in uh, thy word, and we are thankful for all that you are doing in this Bible study, touching the hearts of people all across the nation. Lord, and here tonight, we ask you to bless all those who have come. Bless them coming in. Bless them going out. We pray. Let them be twice blessed, we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, last time we were together... Jacob was delivered from Laban's wrath when God warned Laban to speak nothing to Jacob, either good or evil. And uh, Jacob and Esau made peace, and God brought Jacob back into the land he promised his fathers. And we are in Genesis part 17, and we now come to Genesis chapter 33, and I'm going to begin in verse 17 and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built him a house and made booths for his cattle therefore the name of the place is called Sukkot now Sukkot's are booths and these are temporary dwellings for animals and also temporary dwellings uh, for the children of Israel during what is called the feast of Sukkot we call it in English uh, both the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths. And it is a feast which takes place on our calendar somewhere around September. And during this time, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets, then with the Day of Atonement, the males of Israel were required to journey to Jerusalem. Uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the families of Israel would live in booths or Sukkots to remember dwelling in tents in the wilderness. It was a reminder of their time in the wilderness. And uh, we will get more into that and uh, these feasts, the Feast of Israel, in the next books of the Torah. I'm going to give you a little teaser, though, since we are here. And I believe that the Feast of Sukkot or booths or tabernacles is the time when a very important birth took place. And uh, for instance, if you want to know what a Sukkot looked like, you might think of a manger or a nativity scene, but that's all that I will say about it at this juncture. We'll talk more about that later. Verse 18, And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram and pitched his tent before the city. And we come to Genesis 34 where we find this terrible story of Dina, the daughter of Jacob and Leah. Uh, verse 1, And Dina, the daughter of Leah, uh, which she bore unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. 
And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. Now, when you look into the Hebrew of this, it indicates that an irresistible force was used. And the word defiled uh, really can be in interpreted as he violated her. Uh, in those times, after a woman was debased in this way, she had no expectancy, expect, expectancy of ever having a valid marriage. So this was a major, major thing. Still is today, obviously. Um, and verse 4, And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not be done. Now this is the first time in the Bible uh, where Israel is referred to as a nation. Uh, they wrought folly in Israel. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, he now makes a deal with the sons of Jacob to allow Dina and Shechem to marry. And for the people of his land to marry with the sons and daughters of Israel and to trade with them. Now he's being deceived. The uh, sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob have absolutely no expectation that they are going to uh, co-mingle with these people and uh, trade with them and give their daughters uh, to, to marry. Uh, but they are dealing deceitfully with them. Verse 13, And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled Dina, their sister. And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. But this we will consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then when we, will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone." So like Jacob before them, we see the sons of Jacob dealing in deceit, and they are dealing in deceit. Uh, but not only were they deceitful, they were being cruel. Sin never becomes better on its own. It is a leprosy that spreads, it corrupts, it grows worse over time. And without the intervention of God, sin will always increase in subsequent generations. Imagine a piece of ripe fruit and it will soon begin to decay if left on its own. That decay is corruption and once corruption begins, it cannot be reversed. That piece of fruit will continue to decay and that is an image of sin. And the only one who can reverse it is God himself. In fact, God actually does not reverse it. What God does is he makes a new fruit. Amen. He creates a new fruit. 
uh, verse 25, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brethren, now Simeon and Levi were Dina's full brothers. Uh, they had the same father and the same mother. And took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dina out of Shechem's house and went out. Now Jacob rebukes Simeon and Levi um, for giving him a bad name, but he does not rebuke them for the sin that they have committed. Uh, they went in and killed innocent people, not just the one who defiled their sister, but uh, all of the men in the city after deceiving them. Um, and for this, both Simeon and Levi are passed over in the blessing with the birthright. Uh, Reuben loses the birthright, and it also passes from, uh, uh, away from Simeon and Levi. Then the sons of Jacob spoiled the city. They took all that they had and departed. Uh, if the sons of Israel remained this way, it would be a very poor start for the nation of Israel. God would not allow them to remain in this land as traveling robes, just causing trouble among the nations. God needed a people. He needed a nation for the promised seed to be born. And there were, it was very important that these people were not idolaters. It was very important that they were not uh, violent men married to the people around them because the Lamb of God would have to be born into a people that did not worship any other God but the Lord. And uh, so God needed these people in order to accomplish His goal. So He does have a plan and that plan will later on have to do with the nation of Egypt. In Genesis 35, uh, we see Jacob returning to Bethel. Now, in Genesis chapter uh, 35, we have the themes of completion and correction. It's a story of completion because Jacob was back home in the land of promise, as God has uh, promised him and with all his family and all of his wealth in a sense you could say victory was won the goal was achieved and the promise was fulfilled but it is also a story of correction because the family including Jacob had not completely held to the walk of faith they had begun to worship idols and no doubt the gods of Rachel and Leah uh, they worshipped uh, the same gods that Rachel took uh, with her when they fled from Laban. Uh, verse 1, we're beginning at verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Now Bethel means uh, the house of God. So God is telling him, I want you to return to the house of God. Sometimes that's what we have to do. Uh, then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Now, he is, they should have done a lot more than just put away the strange gods. Those strange gods should have been taken out and utterly destroyed. And I, I wonder if 
Jacob had given them that command rather than put away the strange gods. Just hide them from yourself. If Israel would not later on, the nation of Israel, have such a problem with idolatry that God has to continually uh, judge and continually try to uh, take away from them, to change them with. Um, uh, but we will see that that's going to be a problem of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. When you hide something and you know where it's at, it's very easy to go back and retrieve it, isn't it? And uh, once again, they should have been destroyed. God had to remind Jacob of his forgotten vows. Uh, to complete his vows, there had to be a sanctification process. God requires us to be holy. And holy sanctification means to be separated unto God and to God alone. And Jacob had to separate himself and his family unto God and to God alone. God permits no rivals. He uh, does not allow the worship of any foreign gods. Jacob returns then to Bethel where God appeared to him at the top of a ladder and this is where he saw the angels of God ascending and descending up on that ladder and once again Jesus declared himself to be that ladder in John 1 51 where Jesus says and he saith unto him verily verily I say unto you hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man Jesus is Jacob's ladder and there Jacob who was alone and what does that mean it means that he's the bridge he's the way he is the way between heaven and earth he is the one who fills in the great gap the great gulf and to get to heaven we have to get to heaven by Jesus amen he's that way and there Jacob who was alone and with nothing but his staff when he first arrived at Bethel is now wealthy and he's surrounded by his wives, his children, and all his wealth. And God blesses him again and repeats to him the covenant of Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob sets up a pillar there and he anointed it with a drink offering and oil. And now we come to Ephrath. Jacob comes to Ephrath, which is in Bethlehem, which is just a little way from Bethel. And here in Bethlehem, Jacob's chickens begin to come home to roost. We remember that he had sworn that whosoever took the gods of Laban would not be allowed to live. And it is likely that uh, these very idols which Rachel had stolen from Laban had been buried under the oak at Shechem. But remember, Jacob had issued a curse. And uh, we talk about curses. We will come through uh, two curses. They are all throughout the Old Testament Scripture and even talked about in the New Testament. 
And uh, Jacob had uttered this curse. And uh, we come to verse 16, and we see what happens now here to Rachel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel tra travailed, and she had hard labor. So she was having a baby, and the labor was hard. Now remember, Rachel is the mother of Joseph. And Rachel is the one that uh, uh, Jacob uh, fell in love with initially. And of course, he was deceived and ended up marrying Leah first and then had to uh, marry Rachel second and work another seven years for her. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died. And uh, that, that uh, utterance of Jacob did come true. His chickens did come home to roost. That she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin or Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Now, if you go out there today, you will find a, a uh, Rachel's grave. I cannot tell you whether it is the same uh, grave of Rachel, but it is purported to be. Um, and now look at the names that she named her son. Uh, she gave him the name Benoni, which is the son of my sorrow. And her uh, husband, Jacob, renamed the boy Benjamin or Benjamin, which is the son of the right hand. And so now we have once in the land, the family is completed by the birth of the 12th son, Benjamin, the son of my right hand, and he is born in Bethlehem. And here in Bethlehem, Rachel dies in sorrow, naming her son the son of my sorrow. And Jacob renames him the son of my right hand. So here in Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born, Jesus who is the son of God, who, is, uh, who God calls throughout the prophets, my right hand. Jesus is the right hand of God. And I, who Isaiah would call a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Uh, here in Bethlehem, the wise men will later on defy the evil king Herod in order to keep the identity and the location of Jesus a secret. And Matthew chapter 2 reads in verse 6, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying in Ramah was there a voice heard lamentations and weeping and great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So we see that is all going to happen here uh, where Rachel dies. 
The prophet says, uh, we see Rachel weeping for her children and she would not be comforted because they are not. And in this place, the man of sorrows and the son of the right hand would be born. We now come to uh, verse 21 back in Genesis. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Now, you know, one way you know that the stories of the Bible are true is because they reveal some of the most horrendous sins and actions of the forefathers of these people. Um, the people of, uh, for instance, uh, uh, of Israel, and this was written by Moses, and he does not hide the sins of Reuben. Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and also the mother of Reuben's brothers, and Israel heard it. Now, it's possible that Reuben was following the customs of the land at that time. And he was the oldest son, and he might have been trying to replace his father as patriarch uh, and doing that prematurely by a pagan procedure. But in, uh, for whatever reason he did it, he lost his inheritance. He lost his birthright. Now, Bilhah was the mother of Dan and Naphtali, and this is a sordid tale. And it shows the corruption in the lives of the sons of Jacob. And had this corruption continued, it could not be a family or a nation that Jesus could have been born into. The Son of God could not come into an idolatrous people. But there had to be a people that worshipped the Lord and only the Lord. And that had to happen, and that's what the Lord was uh, going to make happen here. We now come to the death of Isaac in verse 27. Uh, the Bible reads, it doesn't give us a whole lot about it. it. simply says, And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, we're going to pretty much skip uh, chapter 36 because it is the genealogy of Esau. Uh, it is worth studying. Nothing in the Bible uh, is, is not worth studying. And I, I urge you to take some time and uh, go into the lineage here of Esau. But we're going to... Uh, focus in thy word on the promise of Genesis chapter 3, the lineage of the one who would deliver us from the serpent. So we are going to continue in Genesis chapter 37. And this begins one of the greatest stories of one of the greatest characters in the Bible and one who in many ways is a type of Jesus Christ. We begin the story of the life of Joseph, one of the few men of God who about nothing evil was ever recorded. And I'm sure that he was not a perfect man, but no imperfections are recorded about him. And we'll begin at verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land 
wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, no one likes a tattletale. Uh, but Joseph obviously here was working for his father. His father had given him uh, a responsibility and he had to come back and he had to give a true report and the report was an evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brother, brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So the relationship in this family was very divided. Of course, they remembered when jo uh, Jacob had separated his family. Uh, he divided his family into divisions of importance uh, when he was heading toward Esau, his brother. The least important to him were the handmaidens and their children, then Leah and her children and finally in the rear were Rachel and Joseph. And of course, the meaning of this was not lost on the other sons of Jacob. And as Jacob grew older, he's now 17 years old, Jacob gives, uh, as Joseph grows older, Jacob gives him a special coat. Now, the Hebrew here has been translated as a coat of many colors, but the proper translation may be just a long-sleeved coat or a long-sleeved garment. And either way, it was a mark of distinction and separation. And it separated him from and elevated him above his brothers. Now, Rachel was lost to Jacob, and her son Joseph uh, meant more to him because of her death. And jealousy was in that family. And jealousy can often happen among brothers, even Christian brothers, but it should not be fostered either by a person in authority or by the one who others may be jealous of. But Joseph was young and naive. Uh, he was a good young man, but apparently he had not let learn, yet learned the lesson about jealousy and about uh, what people think about you when you say certain things. We come to verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? They knew exactly what this dream meant. They did not need an interpreter at all. Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for the dreams and for his words. The scene of the first dream was about sheaves of wheat. That is precisely how Joseph would later become their ruler, and not only their ruler, but the entire land of Egypt, and in some ways, the entire known world at that time. He would make Egypt the most powerful, the most wealthy nation on the planet, no doubt. 
And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren. Now he needs to learn not to tell his brethren these dreams, but once again he is young and uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. And said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now, the scene of the second dream was celestial. It was the sun, the moon, and eleven stars bowing down to him. The dream meant that Joseph would be elevated over the whole house of Jacob. Now, by this time, Rachel was already dead. And one can assume that Leah filled the role as mother to Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, this is a very important prophecy. Uh, the reason is, is because it is a key to understanding a part of the book of Revelation with the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. Um, so it's, it's, it, we will be coming back to this when we are in the book of Revelation. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan and Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dream. So the brothers devised a plot to kill Joseph the dreamer in order to prevent his dreams from being fulfilled. Before, they plotted to kill the Shechemites in revenge for their sister. And now they want to kill their own brother. But it's interesting that their act to try to stop the dreams from happening only started Joseph down the path which would lead to the fulfillment of his dreams. And the Bible says of Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 11 that he came unto his own and his own received him not. In fact, they conspired to kill him. They wanted to stop him. They wanted to hold on to what they had, their authority, their particular position. But in trying to stop the Lord Jesus Christ, the actions that they took, having him nailed to a cross, only fulfilled his very purpose for coming to earth. Amen. 
He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 21, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Now Reuben, as the firstborn, was directly responsible to Joseph, to his father. And he, he tries to gain an opportunity here to, to rescue uh, Joseph and return him to his father. And uh, there's no doubt that Jacob's brother or Jacob's sons would commit such a crime in their hatred and jealousy. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. Now you remember at the cross, before the cross, and out on the cross, Jesus was stripped of his clothing and much of it was divided up by the Roman soldiers who crucified him. When the soldiers wanted to divide the coat or the tunic of Jesus, they saw it was not just a patchwork of pieces sewn together, but it had no seams. And that meant it was a very high quality garment. And this garment took some time to make, just like Joseph's garment was. And this is why lots were used uh, so that only one of the soldiers would receive uh, the garment of Jesus. Matthew 27, 35 records, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And we come back to Genesis and verse 24, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. Now think about these guys. They just cast their brother into a pit, and they're going to sit down, and they're going to have lunch. They were cruel. These were not godly men at all. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites, came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchant men and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now the Midianites and the Ishmaelites uh, seem to be the same people throughout the scriptures. We see them referred both as Midianites and Ishmaelites in various places. They sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. That evidently was the price of a slave at this time. And Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Now under the law, if a slave was owned by a person and that slave was gored by an ox and died, that the reimbursement for that slave was 30 
pieces of silver. It is the price of a slave. And Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And Joseph was sold with 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Now, Judas is simply a Greek translation of the name Judah. And Judah sold Joseph. And Judah sold Jesus. And we will find that silver is what many items in the tabernacle and the temple were made from, including the temple coins or shekels, the coins of redemption. And silver represents redemption. So as Judah procured the sale of Joseph for silver, so Judas, or Judah, will later sell Jesus for silver. Amen. Verse 29, And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? I can't go back to my father. I can't tell him that Joseph is missing. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. And he immediately comes to the conclusion, the conclusion that they want him to come to. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent into pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his sons, for his son many days. Now, Jacob was convinced that his favorite son was dead. And it's interesting here that Jacob had deceived his own father Isaac using his brother's tunic, his brother's coat, and the skins of a goat. And now his sons deceive him. A particularly cruel deception using the blood of a goat. And this deception would continue for many years. It's wild to think about that when a sin like this is committed, that every day the sin is recommitted. They could have told Jacob the next day. They could have told him the next week. They could have told him the next month that his son was not dead and that his son was alive. But they continually sinned by not telling him. And allowing their father to suffer and actually watching the suffering that he was in for all of that time and for all of the years. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave and to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the word here for grave is Sheol. And Sheol in Hebrew, is the dwelling place of the dead. He expected, he even hoped, to die and to see Joseph again.
And then verse 36, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Now next time we're together, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 38. I'd like you to read Genesis chapter 38. Uh, Genesis chapter 39. Now we are going to take a detour uh, in Genesis chapter 38 and go briefly, as briefly as I can, into the book of Ruth. And I have my reasons for doing that. And if you are a very energetic person and you would like to read the book of Ruth, it is a very small book. It contains uh, four relatively uh, short chapters. And I have a reason for doing that. We're going to get to Genesis chapter 38 where there's a strange and sordid tale um, about Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar. And it's one of those times when you come to the Bible and you wonder why is this here? I'm so enjoying the story of Joseph, which we all love the story of Joseph. And then God, uh, by the Holy Spirit, takes an intermission uh, at Genesis chapter 38. And normally, we want to read through that very quickly, and we want to get to Genesis chapter 39 and continue the wonderful tale of Joseph. But I have learned... Uh, while studying the scripture, that it is a great time when that happens, when you hit this kind of sort of speed bump, if you will, to stop and ask why and take a very close look at it and see if there might be something worthwhile in that place in the scripture. And that's what we are going to do uh, when we gather again. But for now, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for all that you are. We thank you for thy word, Lord. And watch over us as we leave this place, Lord. Let the word of God that was brought out tonight go into the hearts of your people and not return again void, Lord. But let it grow. Let it grow, Lord, as seed grows into the hearts of your people, Lord, unto life, abundant life, and life everlasting, I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of Soul and spirit of joints and marrow Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart I